restoration is something that we long for, right? We, we need someone to put things right, uh, to put things the way that they are intended to be or they were intended to be. Uh, we realize the need for this, of course, uh, as we still wrestle with sin in our own lives, uh, we certainly realize this when we see the ripple effects of sin in this fallen world. And we long for the day when things are finally put right, when things are restored to the way they should be. Turn with me to Luke 8. I've titled my sermon today, Jesus, the Savior who restores. So we've been looking at, uh, through the Gospel of Luke, the story of our Savior has been kind of unfolding. And, and we're in a section that has been reminding us week after week of who Jesus is, what kind of authority He has. Uh, and this week, we're seeing Him as the Savior who restores. So I'm going to read from Luke 8, verse 40 to 56, and I'll pray for us. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached him from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, Stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and confess it today as true as we do each week. And we ask that you work in our hearts and minds 
Holy Spirit, shape us by the truth that we see. Uh, Shape us uh, as we are reminded of who our Savior is. And restore in us the hope that we have because of who our Savior is. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The first thing from this text that I want us to see is that Jesus is an approachable Savior. Jesus is an approachable Savior. Let's look back at these first few verses from Luke 8, verse 40 through 44. We're going to see two individuals who approach Jesus a little bit differently, but they're approaching Him. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him. For they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. So Jesus, it says that he's, he's returning. When he returned, there's a crowd waiting for him. If you remember last week, he had traveled over to the, the Gerasenes. Uh, this was a pre- predominantly Gentile area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is where he met the man who was possessed with the legion of demons. And he cast out the demons. Uh, but the people are terrified, right? The people there were terrified of what's this going to cost us to have this man stay here, to have someone with this kind of power, this kind of authority to stay among us. And so they asked him to leave. And so Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat and they return. The people were waiting there. They knew that he would come back and they wanted to be there when he returned. And so then the first individual approaching Jesus with a need that we're introduced to is Jairus. Jairus has, uh, he is well known, right? He is a respectable, well known individual, a man of prestige. He's the leader of the synagogue, uh, the kind of religious teaching center. And he comes to Jesus and pleads for Jesus to come to his house because his daughter, who is 12, is sick and dying. Now, Jairus, being the the leader of the synagogue, he would have, uh, part of his position would be to kind of plan the order of services when they were having teaching services in the synagogue. He would select the individuals who would do the Scripture readings. He would select the individuals who were going to do the teaching of the day. And so there's a good chance that Jairus knows of Jesus because maybe Jesus has already taught in his synagogue. Right? We know that that was the pattern of Jesus early on in his ministry, was to go from town to town and teach in the synagogues. Uh, so maybe he knows him from that way, or maybe he knows of Jesus because the stories about Jesus continue to spread. 
we also see that, that uh, the news continued to grow about this man. Can you believe uh, that he did this? Can you believe that he speaks like this? It, there's something about him. And so maybe he just knows through the grapevine in a sense. He's heard about Jesus. But regardless, he looks at Jesus and says, I, like, he's the one that can help He's the only one that can do something about my circumstance. And his daughter is lying close to death. And so he goes and pleads to come. And Jesus goes with him. But there's a problem. There's something slowing them down. And that is that the crowd continues to gather around and push close to him. Uh, The crowd is wanting to see him, wanting to hear him. And so it says that they are kind of pushing in all around him. Can you imagine the frustration for Jairus? As his daughter is about to die. And the crowds are pushing in and slowing them down as he is trying to get the one that he recognizes who can help in this situation. He's trying to get him to his little girl. Jesus was the one who could do something about it. Jesus was the one that could restore her health. But then, not only do we have things slowing them down, but we're going to have a complete interruption to this miracle that Jairus is hoping for. Because in verse 43 and 44, we have another person approaching Jesus, not just to get a look, not just to see what all the fuss is about, Someone who has recognized Jesus as He's the one that can heal me. He's the one that can restore me. And so, this woman that comes, of course, does this a little bit more secretive. And part of that's due to her condition. Uh, it says in the, in the Scriptures that she has a hemorrhage or a bleeding that has lasted for 12 years. Imagine that. A medical condition lasting for 12 years. Uh, For as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive, she was about 12 years old. For as long as she'd been alive, this woman has been living an isolated existence because of the bleeding that she has. According to Leviticus, that would make her ceremonially unclean. People would not want to touch her. People would not want to be near her if they touched her. They too would become ceremonially unclean. They too would no longer be able to, for the prescripted time, be able to uh, participate in the official worship at the temple. What a lonely existence this woman likely has. What a heartbreaking existence. But she has heard about a Savior. She has heard about Jesus. There's a man that I know he can do something about my circumstance. But there's a massive crowd gathered around. Uh, Now, technically, she would need to let people know that she's unclean. But this woman secretively sneaks in and she thinks... All I need is just to touch the edge of his robe. All I need is just to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. I I believe Jesus can heal me. And even in just that, I know that I can be restored. And so she does that. She approaches through the crowd, 
reaches out and touches the edge of his robe and is immediately healed. Her health is immediately restored. She can tell, like it stopped. The bleeding is over. Immediately, Jesus restored her health. Two different individuals coming to Jesus. One of prestige. One who is well-known, well-respected, a religious leader, the leader of the synagogue, Jairus. And a woman who was likely just kind of a social outcast. A woman who had to stay off at a distance because of this condition. But both of them had the same response to the Savior. They approached Jesus. They recognized Him as someone that they can go to with their troubles. They took their needs to Jesus because He could do something about it. And that's important for us to remember, that Jesus is an approachable Savior. And it's also important that we understand that it's not that He just like puts up with it. Right? It's not like He sees us coming, beat down, worn out, all our mess and junk. It's like, oh gosh, here they come again. All right, that's fine. Come on, one more time. This is not our Savior, right? He wants us to come. He desires us to come to Him. He wants to restore us. That's His heart for us. I know we've looked at it, but we'll never wear this out. Uh, this is a beautiful invitation from our Savior. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Our Savior invites us to approach Him. He wants us to draw close to Him. Do you feel weary? Do you feel worn out? Do you feel beat down? Do you feel troubled or terrified? Jesus says, come. Come to Me. He invites us all and says, don't bear those burdens any longer. Just come to Me. Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly says this, The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that He is accessible. For all His resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, His supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one, listen to this, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites. No hoops to jump through. That's our Savior. He wants us to approach Him. So, isn't that amazing to hear that this is who our Savior is? Holy and perfect, and yet He desires us, sinful, messy us, to draw close to Him, approach Him. So let's do that with all of our sins, with all of our sufferings, with all the brokenness that we carry around and experience. Let's take that to our Savior. Why? Because He cares for us. He actually cares about you and about me. And that takes us to our second point. Jesus cares about us personally. Jesus cares about us personally. Let's look at verses 45 and 46 back in 
Luke 8. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that the power, I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus asked Stops in the middle of the crowd that's pressing all around. Remember, they're, they're on their way to, to address the dying girl, Jairus' need, because his daughter is dying. They're on the way, and Jesus knows what has taken place, and he stops. And he asks the question, who, who touched me? Uh, now, this is not because Jesus is unaware this is not because Jesus doesn't know what's taken place. The reason he's pausing, the reason he's asking this question is he wants to care for this woman personally. He wants to show her how much he cares for her. He wants to be able to commend her for her faith in believing that she could just touch the hem of his robe. And so Jesus stops and asks the question, who touched me? And nobody will admit it. Peter even, like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, there's people everywhere. They're shoving all around to get close to you. It could have been anybody. It probably was everybody touched you. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, this is different. Someone touched me for a purpose. Someone touched me for healing. Someone came to me to be healed and I felt the power leave my body. I know that she... I know that someone was healed and the woman realizes I've got to come forward. I've got to explain. And imagine, it says she's terrified, right? She's, she's terrified of what might happen. What will Jesus say for this woman who sneaks up behind him and touches the edge of his robe? What will the crowd say as she likely pushed past several people to be able to do that? And she is afraid of what is about to take place. And she comes forward and she says, I'm the one that touched you. And here's why. I knew that if I could just touch the edge of your robe, I knew that that's all it would take. I knew that you're the one that can restore me to health. And then she shares the good news. It happened. It actually happened. The second I touched your robe, the bleeding stopped. I was restored. I was healed. She had been unclean. And Jesus is calling her out because He wants to commend her and He wants her to be not only personally healed, but restored in the community. That this woman is clean now. This woman is a part of us. You don't have to keep her at a distance anymore. 
And so in verse 48, Jesus gives this loving expression. He doesn't call anyone else recorded in the Gospels this. He says to the woman, daughter, daughter, a a personal relationship, right? A a loving, personal uh, relationship. He calls her daughter and he says, it's your faith that made you well. It's your faith that saved you. You were healed because you believed. You were restored because you believed that I was the one that could restore you. And because of that faith, you were restored. You can go in peace. You don't have to be troubled anymore. She is clean. She is whole. And Jesus wanted her to experience Him on a personal level. This may seem unnecessary. From Jairus' standpoint, it's most certainly unnecessary, right? It's like, we've got to go. My daughter's dying. What are you doing? Why are we standing here talking to people? It's time to go. But Jesus wanted this woman to know him personally and know that he cares for her personally. And that's true of our God, that he truly does care about us personally. Jesus taught this in the parable of the lost sheep. Matthew 18, verse 12, Jesus teaches them and says this, What do you think if someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the ninety-nine on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, I, if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. And he goes on to say, I'm sorry, we've got verse 14 up there. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. He goes on to say, that's how God is. He cares about the one. He cares about the individual. He cares about you. And He cares about me. Why would He leave the 99 behind for just the one? Why would He rejoice over the one that had wandered off more than He rejoices over the 99 that stayed behind? Because He cares about the individual. He does care for you personally. He loves you deeply and He wants you to know how much He cares for you. Even when we turn our lives into a train wreck, which we can easily do, right? Even then, He cares about us personally. I saw a hoodie recently from Build a Better Us that kind of captures that idea. Uh, And it says, I am a mess and yet deeply loved. I'm a mess and yet deeply loved. And so church, let's remember this. He loves you. He loves you personally. He loves us deeply. He cares about us. Let's remind ourselves often of this reality. Let's rest in this reality that we are loved and cared for by our Savior. The Son of God loves you. And He cares about you. And some of you may struggle. All of us may struggle at times with this, right? When we think about some of the the junk from our past, 
we may think, I, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know if He could really care about me. Or maybe it's some of the junk in your present. Maybe it's some of the, something happening in your life now and you just think, I, I just don't know if, if Jesus would still love someone like me. And if that's where you are today, thinking about something from the past or thinking about something from the present, look at this passage. Look at the way Jesus sought this woman out to make sure that she knows that He cares about her as an individual. He cares for her personally, loves her deeply. Our Savior hasn't changed. He loves you and cares for you the same way. The third point that I want us to see from this text is this. Jesus came to undo the brokenness of this world. Jesus came to undo the brokenness of this world. So we started out talking about we long for restoration. We recognize our need for restoration. And the good news is we have a Savior who came to restore things the way that they should be. He came to undo the brokenness of this world. Verses 49 through 56, back in Luke 8. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. For her. But he said, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, because they knew that she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned to her, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now the circumstances for Jairus and his family seem to have turned hopeless, right? Uh, he had looked at Jesus, he had gone to Jesus and pleaded for him to come because he thought, okay, my, my daughter is dying, but if Jesus is, is there, if Jesus would come, I feel like he can do something about this, but now it seems quite hopeless because she has died. And so people from his house come and say, your daughter's dead, don't, don't worry about bothering Jesus anymore. Don't bother the teacher anymore. First thing is, they didn't realize that Jesus is still in control. Right? Jesus, they, Jairus went to Jesus thinking, He can heal my daughter who's sick, but He's still in control and He still has the authority to do something about the circumstance, even though the circumstance seems to have gotten worse. They had hoped for a healing, but he has something more amazing in mind that he wants to teach them. The second thing that they didn't realize in what they were saying was Jesus does not view us as a bother to him. Right? They said, don't, don't bother him anymore. 
Right? There's nothing else that can be done. Don't bother Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at us as a burden. Right? He doesn't. He doesn't look and say, seriously, David, again? You're back? I just dealt with you. Uh, and now you're back again? We are not a burden and a bother to the Savior. And so Jesus looks to the man and the woman and says, look, don't be afraid. I just, just keep believing. You believed that I could do something about the brokenness. You believed that I could restore her health. Keep believing. And if you will believe, your daughter will be saved. And so they continue on to the house. And he takes Peter, James, and John and the parents inside. And everyone is mourning. Everyone is crying because this girl has died. And Jesus says, stop. She's not dead. She's not dead. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't understand that she uh, had already died. Uh, there's maybe a couple of things happening here. One, he's looking long term. This isn't the final say, right? I'm here now. Uh, also, as they kind of mock him and laugh at him, it's to, to clarify in their minds, like, no, we know that she's dead. We watched her take her last breath. She really is dead. And so they laugh at Jesus. But he's about to undo the brokenness that this little girl has experienced. And so he takes the girl by her hand. And says, child, get up. And it, the scripture says, immediately her spirit returned to her and she got up. Her life was restored to her. Uh, then Jesus says something that may seem kind of a little odd. He says, well, give her some food. Give her something to eat. Uh, one, uh, for her to have some nourishment, also probably to say, like, this isn't something that you're imagining, right? You're not, you're not uh, just making up this scene in your mind. Like, feed her. Watch her eat. She really is restored to life and restored to health. And the family is astounded. The family is in awe because they found the Savior who not only can restore health, but who can bring the dead back to life. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone about what happened. Don't tell anybody about what took place. We don't know why. Sometimes He tells people. Last week we saw Him tell the demon-possessed man, go tell everyone what I did. Go tell everyone what God did for you. But he went and told what Jesus had done for him. Uh, and then sometimes he says, don't, don't share this. Uh, Jesus likely understood that the crowd outside, how they would respond to the news of Jesus bringing the dead girl back to life would interrupt the plans that he had for his continued ministry as he was working his way towards the cross. So he says to them, don't say anything about what happened in here. This text reminds us 
of who Jesus is and that part of the reason for Him to come was to undo the brokenness, undo the effects of sin. And one day we're told that He will eventually completely destroy sin and all of its effects in the world. Revelation 21, looking at the new heavens and the new earth. We see these words recorded. Verses 4 and 5 in Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. One day, the effects of sin in our lives and in this world, they will be completely destroyed. No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. Jesus will undo all of the brokenness that we experience personally and this world has experienced because of sin. In the Lord of the Rings, after the ring is destroyed, Sam asks a question. He asks Gandalf, Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the story of Scripture gives a resounding yes to that question. One day, everything sad, everything broken in this world will come untrue. That's what our Savior came to do. So, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope when things seem broken. Don't lose hope when everything seems to fall apart. Jesus came to undo the brokenness of this world. And so let's keep believing. Let's keep believing in Him. Because our Savior is at work and one day He will put an end to it all. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, we want you to know that Jesus is an an approachable Savior. You can come to Him. You can believe in Him. And He will care for you personally. He will give you restored life and the promise eternal life. And so if you want to know more about receiving Christ for salvation or trusting in Jesus, fill out one of the yellow response cards and just check that you want to know more about putting your faith in Christ or you want to meet with the pastor. And I'd love to talk with you about that. But church, today, let's remember our Savior is amazing. He is glorious. Let's keep believing in Him. Let's walk in His love that He has for us personally. Let's walk in His love and let's uh, put our hope in Him that as we wait for the brokenness of this world to be undone, let's put our hope in Him because He will undo it. It's what He came to do. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your care for us. Thank you for this reminder of who Jesus is. Thank you for the reminder that we have a Savior who we can come to. He wants us to come to him. Thank you for caring for us personally. And we thank you, God, for the hope that one day all the brokenness that this world has, it will be destroyed. Help us believe that. Help us put our hope in that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're going to get ready for our time of communion. If you have a child in the nursery, I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I would like you to go ahead and go over. You can go through these side doors and get your child checked out of the nursery. And then you all will come back in. uh, And that, that way the nursery workers can be a part of our communion time. While they are picking up children and uh, nursery workers are getting back in. I'm going to ask Kathy to play for us. Uh, We think it's important to kind of just pause and remind ourselves of, of what we are about to do and why we are about to go through this. Remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our on our part, right? And so this is a time that you can pray by yourself or you can pray with your family uh, and just pray. It's a time to confess. I'm a sinner. I, I've done things that God does not desire. Uh, and then to thank God that He uh, sent Jesus to die for our sins. Uh, thank God that uh, it's through Jesus that we have been given new life. And so let's pray for a few moments. Uh, Kathy's going to play for us, and then uh, I'll lead us in taking our communion elements here in just a moment. As we consider our Savior who restores us, our time of communion provides us with a tangible reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus. As we take this bread and cup, we are confessing what Jesus has done for us. His body was given for us. His blood was shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven. And so by receiving Him in faith, we've been given new life. We have the promise of eternal life. And so just as receiving food and drink restores us physically, receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior restores us spiritually. Reading from Matthew chapter 26 Verses 26 through 29. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's 
kingdom. So taking your bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Praise God. I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, uh, the worship team is going to come up to lead us in our final song before our closing benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you uh, for the sacrifice that was made so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.